Well, it's just past 6.30 in the morning in Kyiv as the Russian invasion heads into a sixth day. Moscow shows no signs of retreating. In fact, the attacks appear to be getting more indiscriminate. Human rights groups and Ukraine's ambassador to America on Monday accused Russia of attacking Ukrainians with cluster bombs and vacuum bombs, weapons that have been condemned by a variety of international organizations. It comes as Russia's military continues to apparently get bogged down in its attempts to seize major Ukrainian cities. And whatever the strategy they had going into this war, it seems clear that it has not gone according to plan. Does that mean retreat or as we're witnessing even further escalation. Well, joining me now from Canberra in Australia is retired Major General Mick Ryan, recently retired, I should say, author of War Transform, the Future of 21st Century Great Power Competition and Conflict. And after a 35-year military career, someone I've heard referred to as the, quote, thinker in residence for the Australian Defence Force. Uh, Major General Mick Ryan, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thanks for having me, Ben. (laughs) This has been, I mean, I think if you're not a military person, you're watching this from the outside. We've talked so much about Russia's military power that it seems shocking or at least surprising what's happened in the first five days. What's your assessment of what has gone on? Um, There haven't been a lot of surprises other than the fact that the Russians have been fairly slow and unimaginative in the first few days of their campaign. I mean, we've watched a buildup over several months uh, of about 190 to 200,000 Russian service people around the periphery of Ukraine. Um, it's clear that Russian commanders did not use that time well to think about how they would successfully invade the Ukraine. At the same time, the Ukrainians have been tenacious, uh, courageous, and very clever in how they've been able to fight off the Russians in the north and the east in particular. Um, although it's fair to say in the south the Russians have had a little bit more success. The Ukrainians have also been superb in seizing and uh, retaining the strategic narrative um, from the president on down. I mean, his quote the other day, I don't need a ride, I need ammunition. I mean, wow, what a great statement from a national leader. And it's the kind of thing that electrifies both civilians and soldiers alike, um, steals their hearts, and gives them the sense of purpose that they're really fighting for something that's worth preserving. It's not clear that the Russians are doing the same thing. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Actually, that brings up two really, I think, pertinent questions. Uh, one of them was that we always thought of Russia as being the most sophisticated of countries when it came to this sort of modern information hybrid, what they did in, in Crimea, for instance. Um In this case, it really appears like in the early days, at least, Ukraine have won the information war. They absolutely have, certainly on the information front. And tactically, the Russians have made a lot of mistakes with the integration of their different elements of their ground force. Um, They went into Ukraine without destroying the Ukrainian Air Force or the air defence system. Um, They don't appear to have been able to shut down the Ukrainian internet, which has allowed Ukrainian people and their government to get out um, social media posts and these kind of things. So at every step, they seem to have um, misjudged the Ukrainian resolve and capacity. I think from the start, they hoped that just having 200,000 Russians around the periphery of the country would overawe them and uh, coerce them into political concessions. That hasn't happened the Ukrainians have called the Russians bluff 
and the Russians, who have demonstrated a capacity to learn in previous operations, have now had to rethink and probably uh, reset their campaign. And that leads to the next question, which is the reset. I think the fear is, and this is the fear amongst people I've spoken to in Ukraine, I think it's the fear for anyone who's observed Russian attacks in the past, that it gets worse from here. I think that is a reasonable um, uh, summary of the situation. As as uh, American analyst Michael Kaufman has said recently, that at its heart, the Russian army is a artillery army. It has a operational culture of using lots of artillery and firepower. It hasn't done so uh, at this point, um, but in seeking a breakthrough, uh, and it's clear to me that senior military leaders from Russia are getting a lot of pressure from their president to do so, I think we'll see them resort to things they're more comfortable with, more artillery, more rockets, more um, aircraft dropping bombs that may not be precise, that's going to lead to more destruction in the cities and outside them and a lot more civilian casualties, which is a great tragedy. Yeah, I think that's the one thing that anyone watching this war when it started was thinking, hoping it wouldn't happen, is the, is, the, is the mass civilian casualties we've seen in other major cities, the sort of urban warfare that we've seen. Is that is that a real possibility here? I mean, I've spent time in Kiev. I've spent time in other places. We saw it in Donetsk. We saw urban warfare in those areas. Um, do you fear that, that Kiev is going to become a battleground? Uh, as a soldier, Ben, the one place I really don't want to fight is in a city. It is the worst, the toughest environment to fight in. It is the hardest to control your soldiers. Um, it's the most likely place where you're going to find civilians who get hurt accidentally or deliberately by some countries. Um, so I think there's a very good chance we may see urban operations um, and Kiev is a is a major city. It's a very large city, and it will take tens of thousands of Russians going into the city to have any chance of seizing it. And I don't think by any means they are assured of success, but it will be destructive, and a lot of Ukrainians are going to die, unfortunately. I'm speaking with retired Major General Mick Ryan, author of War Transform, the Future of 21st Century Great Power Competition and Conflict. And something that we, I feel like the pages of your book are sort of being witnessed as we watch this, this whole invasion unfold. Uh, there's been reports tonight of, of, of a huge convoy of military vehicles headed towards Kiev. What is that? What is that about? And what, what, what do you think the plan might there might be? Well, we, we know that the Russians have not yet committed all their combat forces. I mean, the Pentagon has been giving very informative background briefings each day, and the most recent one said they'd only committed about 75% of their combat power. Uh, my sense is that they've decided to commit um, a proportion of those combat forces they've held back to really uh, increase their chances of some kind of breakthrough in their operations to the north and the northeast of Kiev. It's clear that the Russians sees, see seizing Kiev as a critical part of their successful conquest of Ukraine, uh, and I think that convoy is part of it. But it also may well be the Russians seeking to improve their logistics, which clearly have had some challenges, and to bring forward more artillery, more electronic warfare and supporting forces for the combat troops that are already on the ground about 20 to 25 kilometres north of Kiev. The one thing that's always, as a civilian, 
the one thing that's always puzzled me is if you want to conquer a place, say Ukraine, and then you destroy its most its capital and its most prominent city, what chances do you have of ever actually claiming victory? I think that is the the uh, question of the hour, isn't it, Ben? I mean, uh, the Russians can destroy their way to seizing Kiev and Ukraine, but there is no form of political victory in there. All there is is lots of destruction, uh, lots of death that was totally unnecessary, and uh, an entire country and population that is even more against uh, what the Russians seem to want to offer the Ukrainians. Um, I do not see a strategic theory of victory for the Russians at this point in the campaign. Which begs the question, why not reset your plans? I mean, I suppose they they expected to have, a, I, this has been the narrative, I don't know if you believe this to be true, but they expected a quick sort of shock and awe victory and it didn't happen. And now we're stuck in this situation where Vladimir Putin can't really be seen to be retreating. And yet to to go forward will mean this incredibly destructive and deadly war that defeats the whole purpose of fighting it in the first place, one would think. Mm. No, I think there were some assumptions that the Ukrainians would not offer this kind of resistance uh, and that the Russian political and military leadership hoped that they could coerce them just through the presence of these troops around the borders. Um, hope is not a very good course of action in warfare. Um, but to be fair, we're only five days into this. All wars are tremendously difficult. They're full of uncertainty. Um, you know, we hear about the, the fog and the friction of war. It is a very real thing in both sides. And there will be many, many aspects of this we're just not seeing through the media, social media and, and other official reporting. Um, so we've got a long way to go. Um, there is, I think, a new Russian approach that will be implemented. Uh, it will include more of their air force. It will include more combat forces and it will include much more firepower to try and give them a better chance of success, particularly in the northern and eastern parts of the country. I'm still speaking with retired Major General McRyan, author of War Transform, the Future of 21st Century Great Power Competition and Conflict. He's speaking to me from Canberra in Australia tonight. Uh, I noticed that Australia just announced that they are sending weapons to Ukraine. Have you been, what are your impressions of just how quickly um, allies around the world have, have sort of changed gears on providing, I mean, providing lethal aid to Ukraine was, was actually a big topic of debate for years. And all of a sudden, several countries in the last few days have, have all of a sudden changed gears. I think you've seen a, a massive reaction from across the European Union, uh, Canada, the United States, and, and a range of other countries. Japan's provide a lot of non-lethal aid and my own country's providing both lethal and non-lethal. Um, you know, hasn't Putin done an amazing job of unifying the world uh, against him on this? Um, no one would have predicted even a few months ago that this uh, massive coalition of nations would have come together to provide the huge amount of aid that they're already providing for the Ukrainians. Uh, it's it's a good sign that uh, maybe many countries have woken up to the fact that you actually have to defend democracy. You can't just assume it'll always be there. Um, you've seen the Germans uh, announce a massive turnaround in defence and national security funding. Um, so, you know, I think it is a little surprising, but a very pleasant surprise 
uh, that many democracies are finding safety in numbers and are willing to support other democracies in defending their freedom. Because certainly, I mean, I know we talked about this a little bit when I first emailed you about about Afghanistan. You were there in 2006 uh, in the South, just like Canada was. And a lot of those wars, um, obviously, the longer they went on, the public support would start to to fade away a bit. Um, You've talked about this. You know, time can often be the enemy when it comes to these sorts of, when it comes to trying to keep a broad coalition together, such as this one. Do you see time as being Vladimir Putin's enemy or friend in this in this one? Uh, it's definitely his enemy. Uh, he wants this over quickly. Um, he has both international and domestic pressure. Um, he's already shutting down social media in Russia. He's trying to hide what's going on from the Russian people. Uh, he will not be able to hide the coffins that will start coming home inevitably from this conflict, and that will place even greater pressure on him. So um, time is, in some respects, uh, our friend in the West, But the problem with that is the longer this goes on, the more Ukrainian military and civilian people die in this conflict. Uh, So it's in everyone's interest that it's over quickly and that the Russians uh, withdraw back to their peacetime borders. Do you see that as feasible? I mean, I know you've been involved in negotiations, military negotiations in the past. Do you see that happening here? Do you see Russia retreating under some guise of victory? Uh, You know, I think there are... You know, people talk about these things called off-ramps. I'm not sure whether that's productive. I mean, Russia now could potentially say, well, we've secured a land bridge from Russia to uh, Crimea. That's all we wanted, and the stuff in the north was a distraction. Um, I'm not sure how plausible that would be, and I'm not sure it's terribly likely. I think now that the Russians are, are suffering from the fallacy of sunk costs and they believe they've committed so much now that they have to keep going forward rather than stopping and pulling out. I think that's the most likely course of action. This 40-mile convoy of military forces, I think, is evidence of that. Vladimir Putin has used terms that I suppose shouldn't be shocking um, in the past few days about uh, nuclear forces, about using the term nuclear. I know that there's been a lot of concern about it. Diplomats have been talking about it a lot. From your position, um, what was your assessment of of that threat? Because it certainly sounded like a threat. Um, It's actually not that unusual for the Russians to at least mention nuclear capability when they're talking about military operations. It's part of their military doctrine. There's no secret there. They talk about the use of tactical nuclear weapons in regional operations. Um, So we shouldn't be that surprised that uh, Putin has raised it. What I do think it's an indicator of is that Putin is under a lot of pressure. He's under a lot of pressure probably from within that we're not seeing, but he's certainly under a lot of pressure to be successful in Ukraine and he's under a lot of pressure from the international community. This is just one way he seeks to deal and to bluff the international community uh, from getting further involved in the Ukraine uh, conquest by these Russian forces. What would that look like? What what does a tactical nuclear strike look like in 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 the kremlin's eyes um i whilst it's part of their military doctrine uh i can't imagine that there are any senior military leaders or politicians in russia that would be advocates of this um a nuclear weapon being used looks like the most horrible thing that we can imagine to be quite frank there is the benefits of it are so vastly outweighed by the, the tremendous suffering and the after effects that would ensure that um, whilst it's imaginable, 
that it might be used, uh, it would be a horrific outcome for everyone, but there would be no winners out of it. I'm speaking with retired Major General Mick Ryan. Just from a personal perspective, when you see this happening, how afraid are, are you that this is all going to go very wrong, that things are going to get much worse before they get any better? Because I think that's what everyone can't really make sense of, but you have this incredible background. What do you see? Um, one of the great continuities of warfare is that there's a lot of things we don't see. There's a lot of uncertainties. There's always ambiguity, uh, and they can always get worse. I think everything that we can see at the moment is telling us that things are, is, things are going to get worse, uh, particularly on the northern front in the area around and in the vicinity of Kiev over the next 48 to 72 hours. Uh, we are seeing the West rushing to get in more lethal aid. At the same time, we're seeing the Russians rushing to bring in more forces and more firepower. And what we're going to see is a tremendous clash of those two large, uh, very dangerous and lethal organisations, that is the Ukrainian military and the Russian military, and uh, it's going to be very destructive and there's going to be a lot of loss of life, both soldiers and civilians. And you don't see, there just doesn't seem to be any way that negotiations will work now, I guess. Um, we should always encourage negotiations. Uh, I see the latest ones have not resulted in any outcomes uh, other than having more negotiations. That is a good thing. Uh, we should nurture uh, negotiations between the two countries. But if you're a Ukrainian and you're negotiating with a Russian who's still shooting at you, firing rockets at your people, uh, I can imagine the tremendous tension and stress that Ukrainian negotiators would be feeling. But at, at the same time, uh, Ukrainians are not going to want to be giving up the freedoms that they've been fighting so hard for, and that the Russians, at least in this until this point, have not been able to take away from them. Uh, so I'm a big fan of negotiations. Uh, they should continue. And if there was a negotiated settlement out of this war in the short term, I think that would be a good outcome for everybody. Retired Major General Mick Ryan, thank you so much for your time tonight. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Ben. It's been wonderful to speak with you.